0: I want to share something with you that's not part of my sermon this morning. It was something that I experienced this morning about an hour and a half before the first service. I don't know how to even tell you. I was talking to God through prayer, feeling a strong sense from the Lord. This concept of that we just need to be honest. I need to be honest with what's going on with my relationship with the Lord. And you need to be honest with what's going on between you and God as well. You may spin a story for your friends. You may spin a story for your family. You may even spin a story for your counselor. But I want to encourage you this morning... Just be honest with what's going on. Good or bad. Your relationship with the Lord. Today is a day, it's of course for everybody, but it's mainly a day for those who feel like they are off in the relationship with God. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe it's a slow drift or open rebellion. You may be just distracted from the cares of this life. Or maybe you're just jaded or numb. So here's what today is. It's a call of grace, and it's a call of an invitation, and it goes like this. This is God speaking to you right now. This is what he's saying to you. Return to me, and I will return to you. Return to me, and I will return to you. Let's ready our hearts to hear from him and go to a time of prayer. Father, I, I guess what we don't understand is that we're just hurting ourselves when we're not honest with you. We're hurting ourselves when we blame shift. We're hurting ourselves when we point fingers. We're hurting ourselves when we don't own our own stuff. So God, I just ask you that by your spirit, you would just cut through our lies, cut through the fronts we put up, May we truly, every person here, return to you. The promise holds that you will return to us. I ask that you would do a work in this service, that you would change us. No matter what's going on, may we be honest and come to you for grace. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who are visiting, we're in 1 Samuel been going through that last couple of months we're back there again if you want to go ahead and turn to first samuel chapter 7 samuel is back on the scene finally ever since he heard god's voice and started speaking to israel we haven't seen him in about 3 chapters which has been at least 20 years and during that time the ark of god was captured by the philistines And Eli, the priest, along with his two sons, have died because God is disciplining his people and their leaders for their sin. Last week we saw the ark as it was captured by the Philistines and they tried to set it up next to their god Dagon and Dagon was defeated over and over again and the Philistines were inflicted with tumors and some of them died that God was inflicting the Philistines because he is a holy God who does not mess around. So the Philistines got rid of the ark, sent it back to Israel, and the men of Beth Shemesh received the ark, treated it in a trivial manner, and 70 of them were killed on the spot. So they sent it to kiriath Jereim. 20 years. 20 years have passed, and the Philistines still rule the land, and the Israelites are under their oppression. Why? God's punishing them. Punishing them for their idolatry, punishing them for their sin. But today, finally, we've been waiting for it. Their hearts are going to change. There is going to be a renewal that happens within Israel. And I would say that the pattern of renewal that we will see this morning in Israel is the pattern of renewal that can happen in our own lives when we feel that we have drifted from God. It's a pattern that starts with repentance moves on to remembrance, and is carried on through routine. When we repent of our sin and idolatry, we remember the gospel, and we carry on the routine of daily walking with the Lord. It is a pattern established over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we get to see it a little snapshot today in the book of 1 Samuel. Finally, the people of God are going to repent. So let's start with repentance. 1 Samuel 7... Starting with verse 2. From the day the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. The Israelites are mimicking earlier generations who found themselves under the oppression of foreign occupiers because God was disciplining them. They cry out to God. It's a cycle that we see over and over again. The people fall into idolatry. God punishes them. The people cry out. God sends a deliverer. They are free. Once again, they fall into idolatry. God sends forward occupiers. They cry out to God in repentance. God sends them a judge and delivers them. And here, once again, the occupiers, this time, are the Philistines. And the people, once again, are crying out, lamenting. Samuel now enters the scene and he wants to test the legitimacy of their lamenting or of their repentance. Is it true repentance? This is good. Verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If, circle, underline, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreth, among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Samuel sees all the brokenness of God's people, but brokenness is not true repentance unless it is followed by actions. Notice what he says again in verse 3. If they are truly returning to the Lord with all their hearts, then they must put away the foreign gods and serve him only. Last week we saw that you're not to put an idol on the same shelf with God because there will be no mixture. God will not say, hey, you can have me and you can have your idol at the same time. Doesn't work with that syncretism. Did not work in the Old Testament. Does not work in the New Testament. Does not work today. If you have an idol set up in your heart next to the one true God and you're trying to pull off both, the idol has got to go. And right here, what we have is Samuel is trying to determine if the lamenting and the wailing of the Israelites is worldly sorrow or godly sorrow. Now, let me share with you a great New Testament verse that I would encourage you to memorize. It comes from 2 Corinthians 7.10. It brings up the same idea. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regrets, whereas worldly grief produces death. So let me distinguish the two for you, all right? So we have worldly sorrow or grief. It's mainly feeling bad about your sin or bad about the consequences of your sin, but still does not leave the sin. Worldly sorrow leads to judgment because it's not true repentance. So if you've done something wrong, if you've been running after idols, if you're stuck in your sin and you feel bad about it, and you feel guilty about it, but that's all that you do, that's not true repentance. That's worldly sorrow, worldly grief. People who are non-Christians can feel the same guilt. They can feel the same burden. They've done wrong things. They feel bad about it. They shouldn't have done it, but they just keep on doing it. That is not true repentance. That is worldly sorrow. That is worldly grief, not legitimate repentance. On the other hand, godly sorrow or grief is, is being grieved over offending God and repents by, you get this, turning away from the sin. What did Samuel say? If you're really repenting, get rid of those idols. So godly sorrow, godly grief, godly repentance actually leaves the sin. Let me demonstrate for you. You're walking toward your idol or your sin or whatever it is. You're caught up in it. You hear the call to repentance. You feel convicted in your heart. Here is true repentance. You ready for it? You leave your sin and idolatry and you turn the other way and you're walking toward God and in his ways. That is godly sorrow. That is godly grief. That is true repentance. But worldly grief is walking this way and going, man, I sure feel bad about doing this. I sure feel guilty about doing this. I really shouldn't be doing this. Oh, God, I'm, I'm sorry for doing this. But And you just keep going that way. That's worldly sorrow and grief. True repentance is like, I'm done. I'm turning around. We're going that way. We're going to follow after the Lord. And that's what the people of Israel did. They They, they threw away their idols and they started to follow the Lord. The idol no longer had a hold on them. Now, you may think to yourself that there is no way that you can leave your sin. Some of you may think there's no way you can leave your idol because it has such a grip on you. You think there's no no way. Let's go back to Israel for a moment, and let's probe the depth of their idolatry, and I would say that Israel, for them to leave their idolatry, was a supernatural act of God. Because their idolatry was so appealing. Because what their idolatry did, let me just explain it to you. They worship foreign gods that were the god of Baal and his wife, Ashtra. And the worship of these gods satisfied, this is wonderful, the cravings of religion, sex, and prosperity all in the same place. You see, their worship involves certain ritual acts of sex in order to stir up the gods to prosper them with crops. So one scholar said it was a combination of liturgy and orgy, chapel and a brothel at the same location. Imagine how hard it would be to leave that idol where you have your desires satisfied for religion, sex, and prosperity all in the same spot. That would be so hard to leave. Their idol really had this hold on them. And I can relate. When I became a Christian at 19, a lot of my former sins, I mean, they just dropped out of my life. I used to cuss so much. Boom, I got saved and boom, it was gone. And I used to steal. When I got saved, gone. But sexual immorality had this strong grip on me. And I was 19, 20, and I'm thinking, there is no way I can ever leave this one behind. They are what I would call the, the three S's. Sex, skin, which would be pornography, and self-abuse. And at my the age of 20, I'm I've just... I thought they would never go away, but I'm I'm not making this up. One by one, walking this way, it's gone. Sex gone. Pornography gone. Self-abuse gone. You think I'm making this up? God is just who's working in my heart, it was wrestling in prayer, several weeks and months of duking this out, spiritual warfare. And God, by his grace, said you can leave that behind doesn't mean there was no more temptations doesn't mean there was no more say come on come back to us but it was a daily waking up and go okay i've had these in my life at least half my life up to that time several all through my teen years and i'm thinking okay i'm going to wake up today and here's the option i can pursue my idols or i can pursue god i can please myself or i can please god and by his grace there was like this Boom, this this freedom that he brought to me as the Israelites left their idolatry that had such a strong grip by God's grace. I can say, I am done with you. doesn't mean temptations are gone forever, but I am done pursuing the sin. And you may think that whatever idol you have in your life, there's no way you can get freedom. Then what am I preaching about? What do you want me to talk about? You're gonna be stuck in your idol and your sin the rest of your life, so just deal. What do you want me to say? There's true freedom. Israel really left their idols. They were done. we there are people in here who have testimonies. They've really left. Doesn't mean they're not tempted. Doesn't mean there's not this battle and struggle, but you can be done with it. Really, it's like today. There can be true freedom in walking with the Lord where your idol no longer has this grip on you. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Well, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Israel's not messing around. Look at verse 4. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the ashtra, and they served the Lord only. Yeah, underline it. They served the Lord only. There's no mixture. They're done with them. They got rid of them. The, the, they says they served the Lord only. And Samuel sees it and he 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 brings Israel together, and he's like, all right, let me pray for you. Look at verse 5. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. We are not quite sure what in the world that means they poured water. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it symbolized, but since it's connected with fasting, it it has to do something with repentance. The people have gotten rid of their idols, and they acknowledge that they have sinned against the Lord. So you get that? You get that? They acknowledge their sin, and they've gotten rid of their idols. They're not just acknowledging their sin; they're acknowledging it and they're getting rid of their idols. But this corporate gathering of Israel's repentance, the Philistines notice. Their enemies. Watch the Philistines, verse 7. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. You may ask the question, have the Israelites truly changed from their idolatry? And the answer is yes, because when the pressure's on, they don't go back to their idols. They don't go back to treating the ark like a little magic trick like they tried to do a few chapters ago. They say, we have no hope. They turn to the Lord. Samuel, cry out to us. Samuel, entreat the Lord for us. Under pressure, you can tell that the repentance is genuine because they turn to the Lord. And I would say one of the ways you can tell if your repentance is legit is when the pressure is on you, you turn to the Lord. Because life will press you. Life will be hard. There will be stress. There will be deadlines. There will be relationship issues. There will be spiritual warfare. By the way, spiritual warfare is real. There will be such great pressure on you. And when that comes, what are you going to do? Are you going to default back to your old ways? Israel could have done that. Or will you cry out to the Lord? When the times are good, it's easy to stay away from the idols, right? But when times are hard and the pressure's on, are we going to default back? Israel doesn't. They cry out to the Lord. And so Samuel goes into action. Verse 9, so Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord, and Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Samuel intercedes as a priest through prayer and sacrifice, and the sacrifice of the lamb was the forgiveness of sins. It's not like just the Lord's going to let sin slide. He's not going to go, oh, Israel's repenting. Pfft, I guess I'll let sin slide. He's like, no, no, no. Death has to happen for sin to appease God's wrath and God's judgment against his people. He doesn't say, okay, I'll just let your sin slide, Israel. No. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But it's not as if Israel sin, they sacrifice a lamb, and God's like, that lamb definitely has turned away my wrath. The only way God could do that is because he was looking forward. He was looking forward to a greater sacrifice, the sacrifice that we know, the all-sufficient sacrifice that could forgive the sins of Israel and forgive the sins of, of us today, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you've been told about Jesus or about Christianity. Maybe you've, you haven't been in church in a long time. I, I just want to tell you very clearly that God doesn't just let your sins slide. The story is not God loves us, he lets our sin slide. No, a death had to occur for you to receive forgiveness. And that death is the death of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was the Lamb of God who was perfect. And as the Lamb, he was put on the cross and his blood was shed to turn away wrath from those who believe. And you wonder, is that a true story? Well, we make the claim as Christians that he wasn't just killed and buried, but that he came to life three days later validating that he bore the wrath of God completely and his resurrection is proof and his exaltation to the right hand of the Father and he's now the priest that intercedes for us. And the call, the good news is we can believe in him and be forgiven. So it's not this... I'm walking toward my idol. I'm walking toward my idol. I need to repent and turn around and be a better person. And if I'm a good enough person, maybe God will accept me one day. That is not the gospel. The gospel is I'm walking toward my idol. I'm walking toward my sin. I repent and find forgiveness in Jesus who shed his blood fills me with the Spirit, enables me to walk in His ways. Not perfectly, but walk in this way His ways until I'm with Him in eternity. And it comes down to this, this blood sacrifice. I know it's kind of strange, but this blood sacrifice, it turns away wrath. We're going to sing a song after uh, the sermon here. It's called, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Who sings like this? Who talks like this? Blood, blood, blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's it's the blood, the sacrifice of Christ that turns away the wrath. And just as Samuel interceded for Israel, we have a greater intercessor. The Lamb of God who died for us and intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. Well, what's God's response? What's his response to his people's repentance and the sacrifice? Look at verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as Beth the Lord did it. He thundered through the Philistines into confusion through a mighty sound. And as they were confused, he, he stunned the Israelite army defeated them. The Lord responded. The Lord responded to the repentance. The Lord responded to the sacrifice and he routed their enemies. And once again, Israel is walking with the Lord. They're experiencing his blessing. They're experiencing his deliverance. And it's this summary statement of this passage that we see several times in the Old Testament. We see this pattern in the New Testament. We can see this pattern today. It can be summed up from a verse from Zechariah 1.3. It goes like this. Return to me, and I will return to you. Return to me, and I will return to you. And some of you need to hear those words right now. Return to me and I will return to you. Maybe you're the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter who's run away from God. He's saying, return to me, and I'll return to you. I've made a way through Jesus. You can come back. You can come back through repentance and faith. Even as a believer, your fellowship with God can be disrupted, but through repentance, God can restore that fellowship. God's saying, come on, return to me, and I'll return to you as we're talking about this bigger picture of renewal, this renewal and this repentance can be sustained. Like, okay, I can repent of my sins and I turn away, but what's going to sustain that consistent walk in the Lord's way? Not perfect, like I said, but what's going cons- to sustain that consistency? And that brings us to the concept of remembrance. Look at verse 12. Remembrance. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now, the Lord has helped us. This is great. So he sets up this memorial stone called Ebenezer. And he proclaimed, Till now, the Lord has helped us. The Stone of Remembrance, or Ebenezer, pointed them back to the faithfulness of God to deliver them and encourage them and help them face the future. It was an Ebenezer. It was a, a monument. You can think about many of the monuments that remind us of past victories that are in Washington, D.C. or different parts of the world. They remind us of these past victories and perhaps give us strength to face the future. But Ebenezers can also take more of a personal flair there was once this couple who was dating. Uh, I read this story I'm going to share with you. Uh, and, and the guy on their dates, he, liked, he just liked to chew gum all the time. And he didn't want to be rude, so he felt like he had to offer his date the other half of the gum. So he would tear it in half and she would chew it. And eventually he married the girl. And years later, I wonder how many years later, but years later he found out that she actually kept her chewed gum from each date. And she put the chewed gum on a poster board, several poster boards, uh, and under the blob she wrote the date. This was to remind her of this initial love and courtship and all the special dates they had. It was, it was her Ebenezer. And you may think that's Gross. But some guys are in here wondering, where can I get a girl like that, right? Yeah, amen. You may be familiar with the word Ebenezer from the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount. Remember we sing this? Come Thou Fount. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. And we sing that, and we sing Ebenezer, and we're like, what does that mean? Ebenezer Scrooge? What are we singing? What does that even mean? But the song, it's echoing the concept that, that, that Samuel here is worshiping. I raise my Ebenezer because you've brought me this far, and you're going to take me home. It's a remembrance, a gospel remembrance. We raise our Ebenezer, this reminder of the gospel. And for us as the corporate body of Christ, do you know what the greatest Ebenezer we have uh, that we share corporately is the Lord's Supper? We took the Lord's Supper last week. Well, this is what the Lord's Supper does. We remember his death and resurrection until he comes again, right? So reminding of his faithfulness in the Lord's Supper until he comes again. That is our Ebenezer. But we can also have these personal Ebenezers. Just think of ways that you can remind yourself daily of God's faithfulness. I, I've been journaling for about the past 20 years uh, my daily prayers and crying out to god and when i get to a desperate time i like to go back to my old journals and say god you were faithful back then to bring me through that surely you'll be faithful today to take me into the future i guess the way i could put it it's a it's a daily preaching of the gospel to yourself it's a daily believing the gospel, rehearsing the gospel to yourself of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. That's our Ebenezer, reminding about the blood sacrifice that through Christ we are accepted by the Father. And it's this is daily preaching the gospel to ourselves. So here's the concept of a renewal that can happen on a daily basis repent, remembrance, and the third part is the routine. Let me put it to you this way. Those who return to the Lord come by repentance, are strengthened through remembrance, and sustained by routine. And it's that last part, routine, that you may be missing and causes you to slip back. So it's like this okay, I'm walking toward my idol, I repent, I receive forgiveness in the gospel, I'm preaching the gospel to myself but then you lose a routine and you go back. Let's see the routine here. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Philistines are broken, no longer ruling over Israel. Not a time to get lax, though. Not a time to drift. Look at the routine, verse 15 through 17. This is beautiful. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. There also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. Now is the time of faithfulness and continue to follow the Lord. And for Israel, that meant listening to Samuel. Look, he's touring on the circuit. He's a circuit rider year by year. He's teaching God's truth. That's what it means to be judging. He ruled the people as God's appointed leader. If you are returning to the Lord, if you're wanting to walk with the Lord today, you have to remember his faithfulness and continue on in faithfulness. And I just said, uh, uh, last point, preach the gospel to yourself. You know, we're really big in talking about the gospel. That Preach the gospel to yourself is one of the, 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 most, the more famous sayings that we would use in our church. Preach the gospel to yourself. But, but I still feel like preaching to the gospel falls a little short if, you, if, that's, if that's all you're doing. Because preaching to the gospel to, to yourself, we, we don't want to stop there. Now we have to obey and live it out. So we're not going to just say, okay, I repent. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel to myself and do nothing. I'm not going to fight against sin, I'm not going to obey. I'm going to just keep reminding myself that I am forgiveness, I'm forgiven in the grace of Jesus, and I can do what I want. No. We preach the gospel to ourselves, and out of that comes obedience to God's word and to His truth, and that develops as a routine. And the routine for us is, on a daily basis, weekly basis, we're in the word. We're in prayer. We're gathering with the people of God. We're encouraging one another in the gospel. We're encouraging one another to follow the Lord. And you may say, Pastor Jason, that is so simple. I want, I, I want to break away from the simplicity. I'm going to start going to a different church so they can tell me something different. It's just too simple. You mean daily walking with the Lord is prayer, word, and other people in my life? And I, and I say yes. And you say, that's just too simple. Let me tell you this. If you leave the simplicity behind you may find yourself drifting and going back to your idols. It's because it's that routine. As boring as it may sound, it's not. It's that routine of daily intake of the word and prayer and consistent fellowship with his people that keeps us going into the future. And I believe that many of you may have dropped or totally left out the routine of the Christian life. It's not as exciting as your conversion. It, it's a lot of war and, and fighting. And when you initially turn away from your idols, man, there's so much freedom, right? You're so excited. You're caught up in the gospel, right? But then the daily slugging it out and putting sin to death and meeting with other people that are putting sin to death, that, that is such routine. But my brothers and sisters, that's what you need. That's what they needed. That's what the Israelites needed. They need to hear from Samuel, give him the word. They need to gather with his people. Don't drop routine. If you drop the routine, you may regress and fall back into your old ways. Those who return to the Lord come by repentance and are strengthened through remembrance and sustained by routine no matter how far you have run from God, I don't care what you've done, how far you've run, you can turn around and be welcome back. And some of you are in some deep idolatry right now, and you're not sure you can break from your ruling idols. God is a God of power. God is a God of freedom. He can not only forgive you, but he can break these strongholds in your life. And I want to tell you that we are here for you. I'm encouraging you to be honest with God. I want to be honest with God. But let me also encourage you to be honest with other people. You're really not going to tell us new sin. The temptations that we face are common to us all, different ones for different people. I don't think we're going to be shocked by anything you're going to say that we've not heard. You just got to be open got to be open and honest and tell people what you're struggling with what you want to turn away from and we're we're here for you we are here for you we want to be open and honest about the deliverance that we have in jesus christ return to god and he will return to you let's pray father we want to be honest I want to be honest. If there are ruling idols in my heart, I want to talk about where is their bitterness? Where is their resentfulness? Where is their greediness? We all want to be open for you. Where are are the the things that we're chasing after, the approval of others, the affirmation of others? What have we been going after? Is, Is it sexual immorality? Is it food? Is it body image? Is, are we setting up these idols that we're going to pursue? They're, they're going to let us down. They're going to crash in on us. Father, show us that there is freedom and forgiveness in Jesus. We really want to say, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. May, may we not lift our souls to another, but only to you as you're sitting there right now you're going to sing a number of songs may you just be honest don't lie to god he sees if it is truly your prayer say father give me clean hands give me a a pure heart even if you don't have a big solution and got it all figured out come to him just as you are laying everything down finding forgiveness in the blood of jesus Return to God and He will return to you.